that was a eye-opening experience um, as we transition into our last brand, which is Dancing Goat, which is out of Whiskey City, USA, baby. Um, yeah, but we uh, we made a connection online, I guess, probably three or four months ago when it first started. Bo reached out saying, um, "Who is lead marketer?" Yeah, Bo's in charge of our marketing. Yeah, we're talking about we're talking about you, Bo. He's 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 over there. He's he's, he's networking. He's ignoring us. Um, but it was definitely a, a relationship that just instantaneously like, oh, we're long lost brothers. Yeah, it was All fun. It was but a lot of fun. We went up there and we spent an entire day at the distillery, and I was truly blown away by the entire experience. And then we capped it off after about six to eight hours walking around the distillery by recording a two-hour podcast. That was a lot of fun. It was, yeah, definitely. I, I was sore the next day in my tummy. I was like, man, I was laughing too hard. Yeah, I hear you on that. Um, that was, was such an incredible day because we turned up at Krakaton in the morning and um, I think it was, who was it that opened the door? Was it Craig? Uh, Sean. Sean opened the door, Sean. Yeah. Sean opened the door and he was like, Jake, Callum, we've never met this guy before. <laughs> and we were like, uh, okay. And he was like, you guys are from Key the Lake. Oh, we're so excited to have you. And then we were let in and it, man, we were we felt like royalty that day. It was amazing. Yeah, it was you, awesome. you guys were really cool until you left. And we, <laughs> we got to know you and we realized we don't like you and we're not inviting you back. But before that, we were all really big fans of the podcast and listened to it a lot. And then we met you and we were like, unsubscribe. <laughs> I'm just teasing. No, but um, Dancing Goat was something that Joe first turned me on to Jay, Joe Henry from uh, earlier today. And he was talking about, I have this crazy friend who has this distillery up here that you guys just need to like get on the podcast and talk about whiskey and come and experience. So I was so glad when we finally did and tell us a little bit about Dancing Goat and how it started. Great. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm Nick Brady. Um, I've been making whiskey for uh, a long time. Uh, I started with my grandfather uh, when I was uh, my grandfather showed me how to make a pasta still when I was about 12, 13 years old. And then um, a couple years later, I, I took to heart like what he showed me. And I started playing around college and moonshining. And uh, my granddaddy had built distilleries all over the world. Um, and uh, he he went down. He was sourcing some glass for us for our Ramchata brand uh, that was building. It was really successful um, and, and really accelerating velocity at the time. And he got a, a some crazy virus in his spine, some similar to meningitis. And he went down. And uh, but before he went down, when he's still working, my father came to me. He goes, "Hey, I want to build a distillery for your grandpa." At the time, I was just bartending, um, you know, working security, you know, doing some work for you. Rimchata. Security. Yeah, a lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it in Chicago. A lot of it in Iowa City. Yeah. Um, it's the it's the best job because. You know, all the all the people want to come up and talk to you, but you don't have to get all the all the drinking going on. And I, I really like it. It helped pay the bills, you know. And then um, we saw some massive success with Ramchada, which allowed us to really scale the project in a way that we never really expected we'd be yeah. able to. And then my grandpa also um, died. And so I went on this crazy journey of, uh, of consultants that helped me finish the build out that we were designing. And then I was just kind of let loose in this like world-class distillery like alone <laughs> do what I, you have do what you want <laughs> literally it was just like okay well we went and we went to mgp and we sourced a bunch of whiskey but when i went down the mgp i literally went there and uh, i met with these sales reps and i was like listen i was like all oh, this is great but it's trash i don't want it and they're like trash and, it, and <laughs> well you gotta realize i'm it's talking the most perfect distilleries in the world yeah like, like the best is trash well so you, you gotta realize it. i'm like talking to my uncle when i'm there and so like i'm talking to my uncle b and i'm like 
yo, Uncle B, man. I was like, this is all trash. I was like, yo, let's let's bring some different yeast in because I've been home brewing. I've been moonshine at home. And so we started doing some ferments of their standard mash bills with yeah. finishing with our yeast that we brought in and using their MGP house yeast. And that was one way I figured it'd be we'd make super unique distillates because the MGP house yeast is not something that's sold commercially. It's it's in their own home and it's the, it's from the Seagram's lineage. And so by finishing with our own yeast, we ended up with some really cool young flavors in our 51. I got back to my own place and started banging on my pots and pans while we were putting in our column because my granddad told me, you know, you never make no money without a column. And uh, that's when I started playing with the 95 super heavy. The, the yeah. 95, I saw the mash bill there, 95, five malt. But what we started doing was 95 malt, five corn, you know, Hopi blue, uh, pearl, you know, right. Geneva, all these different types of heirloom corns, uh, all organic from Wisconsin. And we actually changed the basis for our brand to 95. But uh, the dancing goats really is, we call it an, the ultimate celebration of agriculture. Um, <laughs> we want to take agricultural products from Wisconsin and blend them uh, with each other and make great marks. And we also want to source whiskey from all over the world to build the most worlds, the most diverse friendly library. And so our, our motivation for this, it wasn't just me. My, my daddy didn't just call me and was like, Hey man, you want to start a distillery? And I was like, yeah, um, I've been moonshining for a long time. And a lot of what I was doing was short path distillation for marijuana. And so I was, uh, I have some involvement with, in the medical field, um, just on, on short path consultation early on in the game. And then a lot of moonshining in the field. And uh, so me and my daddy were like, you know, hey, let's do it. And my dad, unlike a lot of people, he has, he knows how to distribute products from his time at Beam. Yeah. So we knew we could sell it if we could make good stuff. We just have to learn how to make good stuff. And I'd already been making some good stuff in the field. You know, I, I mean, really rudimentary filtering and stuff like that in my early moonshines. But really, I mean, I was going to the bar at Iowa with a jug of moonshine. You know, I'd be going to the tailgates before I go to work my security job with a jug of moonshine to see what people thought. And, you know, now I have a distillery. So, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. That was trial and error. Yeah, but we didn't. But it was never even a part of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. never knew. I you weren't never, taking notes or anything. You were just making the stuff. No and, clue that we were going to hit the lottery and, yeah. and be able to buy a distiller. You know, I was just doing right. what my granddaddy told me was possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, booze is expensive. Yeah, I yeah. had no money. I was paying for school. You know what I mean? Girls like alcohol. I was like, dude, I need some alcohol. <laughs> I need booze. My favorite. That's how you rolled that wife in. A hundred percent. Yeah, she's in Iowa. She, I found her at Iowa, and I just waited till she was single. I was like, I'm mine. <laughs> and I got my wedding ring tattooed on me because she's the only one for me ever. I love you, baby girl. Um, and uh, but but it it started. You know, a, a seed was planted when I was 13. I love my girlfriend. And, uh, and then, you know, I got real high distilling weed for a couple of years. And then I got the opportunity to distill some beverage ethanol. And it was like, man, I'm going to take it. And so um, we have five stills or we have four stills right now. We have a fifth one coming online. Right. Um, we're looking to put out some serious PGs. Mm. Uh, I mean, on a, like a huge level, brandy, bourbon, rye. Uh, but what we really love is rye because it's the, the grain of Wisconsin. Right, right. So this particular whiskey that we're drinking today, yes. this is the limo rye. This is the limo rye. Um, and there's a bunch like pretty security photo, by the way. She's <laughs> <laughs> profile, but um, so there's already a bunch of questions coming through for you, Brady. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to those. But can you talk us a little bit about this? Talk to us about the limo rye to start us okay. off. So limo rye is the is uh, when we started when we started and we got our stores of whiskey. I needed so. My family owned rum chata. Uh, we've sold it since then. And, and thank you to everyone that's ever supported that. By the way. Thank Just you. Happened. It's bittersweet. You know, it's like your 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 brother, your sister being sold. You know, yeah. I mean, I was I started selling that out the back of my. Oh, that's such a fucked up thing to say. <laughs> but no, I started. You're good, you're good. I started selling out the back the trunk of my car. You yeah, know what I mean? It was your first 
it was the it was your first foray, right? Into Me and my game. my dad invented no, the toll experiment too. Yeah, it was a yeah. total. My dad retired from Beam and was bored, and was like, and and he caught me drinking at a Mexican restaurant, and he asked me like, why you guys all go to the shitty Mexican restaurant? I looked at him like sixteen years and full of crap, you know. I'm like, because the horchata is good. And the next day he's like, bring some horchata home. You ain't you ain't drinking horchata. And so I brought it home, and there wasn't any run with it, so he didn't ground me. Yeah. But then he started. He that's the first time he'd ever seen horchata, and his marketing might never stop when he retired. And so he he's he looked it up, he googled it, and he realized, man, this is the number two in gallonage drink in the Hispanic world, other than water. Yeah. Like, someone's got to come out with the product because he was actually going to sell that product for five grand as a consultant. And my mom literally hit him on the head and was like, "No way! That's the only thing you ever made in our kitchen that everyone asked for a second pour of." And so we almost let it go for like nothing. You know what I mean? And, and none of this. Imagine? And none of the, I'd, I'd still be working security. None of this would have. I'd be yeah. shining and working security in Chicago. Thank God for moms, to make man. Her, you know. Thank God for moms. I know. No, she's the smartest. <laughs> she's absolutely smartest. But, um, you know, we had Midwest Custom Bottling where I'd done a lot of work at. And I what I had done there is I built all the bottling lines with my grandpa when we yeah. first started it because okay. we bought all the equipment from a, a Coca-Cola bottler in Georgia. And it was all old-ass equipment we had, to, we had to make roadworthy. And so that, that's why I first learned about doing all this stuff. And I hadn't connected like the moonshine in this yet. It was just my granddaddy's bottling plant he was trying to build. So we had this bottling plant and I, work, I help him build it and can I work in it. Can you as well just so that we yeah. can hold yeah. up to, for people? And uh, so I already knew how to move fluids. I knew how to bottle things. I knew how to sell them, but I need to learn how to make them. And uh, we, I was making it every day. We distill every single day at the Dancing Go. And shout out to the people watching the Dancing Go for me right now. Check out our ferment temps. MJ, you're the man. I love you. Um, MJ, is MJ, MJ is the man, dude. And uh, he... Um, um, sorry, I get distracted with how much of the man he is. I'm thinking about juicy cyclers butt on him, and I just can't get back to where I was at. Um, <laughs> we, okay, all, but we, we make all, whiskey. We all work. Absolutely, we make whiskey or brandy every day at the Dancing Goat, and uh, and as we had young, our own distillates aging, um, I started to blend the, the original source stuff that we purchased. Yeah. As my first, as the my custom made source stuff was aging. And so the original source stuff, we I needed a blending project, and that's really what limousine is. It was a way for me to learn how to blend these solvents like I knew I could other distillates I'd made in another industry. And so and so uh, limousine rye really became a, a blending and a finishing experiment, teaching me proportions and proportionality and how to blend in body and how to blend in bouquet and how to blend in actual flavor. Yeah. And so it, it the the early iterations, I'll give it to you, were rough. They were pretty plain. Uh, our 51 Mashable didn't didn't really progress at a high rate, especially with where we're at. Um, and so I really had to learn about finishing, and that's when I incorporated the Limousine Oak Solera. And so we were finishing the Limousine Oak barrels, but we weren't aging in them. And we don't age in them extensively, but I do a pretty long, pretty long finishing in them. Right. And so we do our Solera process to kind of keep the originality of the batch, but then also to really get that exposure, that Limousine Oak that we have in the Solera. And it, it, it kind of gave us what we were missing as a young whiskey. But then now that it's actually, you know, six years is where we really want Limo to be as a brand. And that's where we're going to keep it. Um, but a lot of that whiskey is like six and a half years in there. Mm. But oh, wow. um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's growing up. It grows up every day, you right. know. Um, and the advantage of COVID was it moved us from a five to a six because mm -hmm. we were all on premise business. But now that it's at six, it's super robust. It's super bold. And we really like we think it's its final form. I'm reaching my final form. Uh, <laughs> you go the, super sand with the lips. Yes, yeah. exactly. I knew you were a nerd when you were a kid. So was I. And uh, I love how you guys proof down too. Like you take your time. It's you have so to. precious. You have to. And it's, 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 that's some one reason me and Joe really connected beyond, uh, our good looks, our, our shocking good looks and our, in our impeccable taste and, <laughs> 
America fashion items and wood policies is, uh, <laughs> is in wood policies is our love for what we're doing. Yeah. And we were both independently. I take Nancy Fraley is someone you talked about earlier. Who's phenomenal. Best teacher you could have in this industry. And uh, she, she, she's not a, we didn't hire her as one of our consultants um, cause she's not available. <laughs> um, but she does these classes where she teaches blending technique. And, and I went to that, you know, ready to go. And I went there, I took every note I had, every note I could, I actually recorded the whole thing. So I'd go back and review it five, six times. Yeah. I watched that video probably a hundred times. So I wouldn't miss a single word of what she said. And I came home and I studied those methods and I embody them in our process. And so uh, limousine is a really complicated process. There's a lot of hands on it, but we'll age in, in American white oak used bourbon barrels. So no new cast, this isn't a bourbon. This is not a straight rye. Um, because and that's some, the malt influence that me and my dad love so much. Um, we're really cognac drinkers and malt drinkers at the end of the day. And that's kind of like what we wanted to go for was a smoothness like that and a tape flavor profile like that. And so uh, use bourbon casts, uh, one-time use cannot be a weeded mash bill. I don't care who it comes from. I care how long your bourbon was in there and it may not, I cannot take a weeded bourbon. I will not take it. Um, uh, gets about four and a half, five years. We start proofing it down. And we've hit it two or three times over the years. I really like to, I start them high, 120, 121, 122, 123 mm -hmm. to get a good polar extraction at that level. And then I drop it by about two proof a year until we get to that fourth and fifth year. And then we start our proof down process. And so That's what I'm saying, I'm really looking it. for a full spectrum. So we talked about this in podcasts, but yeah, it's a polar solvent. It, right. it behaves differently at different polarities. And so we want to pull a full spectrum of solubles from that wood. And so we start aging, you know, we start dropping down and proof minorly over the yep. years. And sometimes it does the work for us. Sometimes it starts to prove itself. Slow steady. Yeah. Which is what we want, you know, but if it doesn't, we help it along. But then eventually we get to the point where we are, we need to prove it down. And so we'll take anywhere from a year to six months to age to proof down a barrel from 114, 115 to our, our bottling proof, which is usually somewhere, it's somewhere between 89 and 94 proof. How did you settle on that? Um, so when you're talking about alcohol, alcohol is, it's, it's a solvent and it, it has, you know, stability is a thing in chemistry, stability is a thing in science and alcohol wants to be stable. It actually has a perfect stability. If you left the vat of alcohol out, it would settle at about, you know, 13070 is where it wants to be. And so alcohol is, is different at different concentrations mm -hmm. and different properties. So when you're looking at whiskey specifically or just alcohol as a solvent, um, at about 94 proof, 93 proof, whiskey is most viscous. That is when it has its highest viscosity. And if whiskey has a high viscosity, it has what's called a high demulcency. So demulcency is that tendency for things to linger on the palate. So if you have a whiskey that's balanced and well blended and well proofed, you don't need to be afraid of your alcohol burn because we talked about this. A full sip of whiskey has alcohol burn covered by the flavor of the whiskey. And so uh, a short finish, something where you have alcohol burn on it, is usually an indicator of crash proofing, um, which is something we want to avoid. So we really want a sip of alcohol to not really register as like that that burn because yeah. you know a, a, the burn of alcohol is actually a chemical burn right so alcohol is passing over your palate and it's pulling water out of your soft your soft palate your soft tissue and so it's actually a true chemical burn that's the nature of a chemical so if you've got a chemical burn in your skin it's a true burn if you have a sunburn it's, it's moisture a being sunburn. yeah moisture has yeah. been removed where it's supposed to be right. right and so but if you have enough tannin and tylosine and ester development in your distillate it won't it, do that. It, yeah well it, it, if it 
it, it still has, well, you know, there's warmth, there's things that drink hot, but that burn isn't just alone. It's not just, you know, when you take a sip of vodka or Everclear, if you're me, you're taking a sip of Everclear, not me, but- Take a chug you, of Everclear. I don't know, I, chug, <laughs> I mean, I got a kid now, I got a daughter to be accountable for, but back in the day, yeah. You know, that's on fire because it's pulling so much water from your mouth. Right. But, a nine, but, but at 92, 93, 94 proof, you know, it's not pulling too much water in your mouth because it has a ton of water already. It just says it doesn't need as much to get to that stable level. But your flavor, your flavors, if they outlast that bird, it doesn't register to the consumer. And, and that's a full sip of whiskey. And that's what I'm really looking at. And, and that's a training. I mean, Nancy Fraley is training every spirit judge at every major competition. And that's what they're being trained. And so that's what I'm trying to hit. Right. And I'm trying to get a full sip. And if you, Henry is the best example of it. It is not gluey. Mm. It is definitely not gluey. It is not solventy at all. And there's a warmingness from the sip that the flavor is, is robust enough to carry through. Right. And that's what we're really trying to do with our, our blending techniques and our aging techniques. I think it's amazing that we have, we have distilleries from all over the world, obviously, um, all shapes and sizes too. But when we're talking about these two craft distilleries out of Wisconsin, the patience, the care and precision that goes into making these whiskeys is, in, uh, uh, is unbelievable. I can't express it enough how Joe's dad was crazy enough to make a five-year-old whiskey. Sit it, leave it in a barn for four and a half years before he tells me. Just around the one. Yeah, pretty much. You are proofing down at such a slow, I don't want to say like, uh, it, it's not like a slow pace in a, like, I don't know, being like a, a, a clam or something like that i don't know it's borderline asinine for sure right, right. it's, it's excessive but it works i didn't want to you know insult you at i all. appreciate it but um <laughs> there is a reason for it there's a method to it yeah it's an old cognac technique right. and there's a couple so so cognac likes to look at blending as an opportunity for elevage and you'll see i, I actually zipped that at henry when we were here because me and him we both are just in love with this romantic idea of, I love you. I love your fucking palate. I want your tasting notes later. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that happen. Henry does really, really well and that he knows really, really well is you use proofing and dilution to elevate a spirit. That's why I said elevage to him. And uh, in, in, in some of the elements of elevage, you're slow proofing. But there's a couple other really interesting methods that we're playing around with the goat. There's, there's, there's one thing they do that I haven't figured out how to do yet, but in, in really crazy cognacs, where they'll wrap towels around a barrel to suck out alcohol, you yeah. know, and then to, to proof down naturally over years. I'm not trying to do that exactly, but that's a crazy thing. One of those crazy French barreling techniques that we always joke about. The other one of Elevage that's real crazy that we do a lot of is Boise. I don't know if you guys know what Boise is, but Boise is basically- Sounds like a town in Idaho. <laughs> Yeah, pretty close, pretty close. And with your voice, for sure. Boise, Boise. I mean, come on, we're not far off that. Yeah, you start walking around Boise calling it Boise. I don't think you're oh, getting man. very far. I would be like calling it Des Moines yeah. in, uh, the in Iowa. The monks. Yeah, Iowa. Welcome to Iowa. Oh. Um, but Boise is something that, so we have a 20-year product coming out this year. Obviously, I didn't make it. Like I said, our really big thing is we want a diverse brilliant library and so we've acquired a lot of spirits from bankruptcy auctions from mgp i've acquired extra lots from mgp i got some stuff from alberta i buy a lot of brandy from california i mean a lot of it uh, and a lot of this gets sold uh as barrels commodity yeah, barrels right, right, right. right um but a lot of it's making and the things that are going to go into the commodity market are things that i've decided hey these aren't for our blends let's let these move on but we have a light whiskey it's actually the same light whiskey product that you'll see out of uh, High West, has it sells at a 14 or 17 year old. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, so we have the same barrels. It's Seagram, it's a Seagram's Blender light whiskey, 21% rye. We have four barrels of it, we're releasing one this year. And what I've been doing for a couple of years is there's a, we took one barrel of it 
and we're overproofing it very slowly. And so, I mean, you're talking my boy, Benny, the bull God, you guys know Benny, the bull God, he's the man. Um, he's putting in literally about 50 mLs uh, a day, twice a week. And just, you know, boop, boop. And it's barely more than the evaporative rate of the distillate. But what we're doing is we're going to overproof this whiskey and we're going to get it to about 30, 40 proof. And the goal is if you do it super slow, you avoid spawnification. So then what we have is a super low proof barrel aged water, essentially. Right. right? right. And we're going to use that to proof down the light whiskey. And so it's, it's just, it's a, it's, it's one of those elevage techniques that you hear about, but I've never seen anyone do. And if people have done it, they haven't talked about it. And if they have, I just haven't seen it. If they have, I got a lot of respect for you. I'd take you to Australia. I'd love it. They doing Vazes over there. Maybe I'd love to see it. I'd love to go. So um, Nick, there's a bunch of questions have come in questions. here. 110. Um, so we can, we can rattle through these. Um, Cause not, don't want to keep people too long, but. The first one was, once again, from Harrison. He said, Nick, as someone who has a large family tree full of people in the spirit industry, how has your own career as a mixologist and rep for multiple brands influenced what you put forward with Dancing Goat? I appreciate that because a lot of people don't know that I work for multiple brands. But yeah, I've been around the block as a mixologist when I was a younger man. And I'll tell you this right now. I got to do some real cool stuff that a lot of people didn't get to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked for Bacardi for a long time. and Well, not for a long time. It was a contract gig. I went down to Bacardi and I worked as basically the sous chef for uh, David Mura. And when I was there, he taught me about rum and he taught me about balance. And it, it's, it's about balancing cocktails and using esoteric flavors to balance extreme alcohols. And that's something that we, in our tasting room, have really embodied. But with some of our cordials that I make, uh, we also really embody as well. But the other thing that I got to do, which was crazy, is I got to go to Brown Foreman mm -hmm. in Kentucky. This is crazy. And I got to work with Tim Laird. And so Tim Laird, me, and another flavor scientist sat in the lab, and we were trying to do uh, rum chata with Chambord, rum chata with, uh, there was when they owned Tuaka still. Okay. Uh, they might still own Tuaka, I'm not sure, but rum chata and Chambord, rum chata and Tuaka, and rum chata and Southern Comfort. And I got to get in this lab with people way more qualified than me scientifically, but I, I kind of, I'm, I'm not trying to talk ignorant, but I, 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 flavors speak to me. I'm a baker. I come from bacon originally, and that's how I got into mixology because that's how I paid for my bacon at home. And uh, I, I can kind of see flavors. I don't want to, I'm not trying to talk ignorantly, but it's just, I get flavors. They speak to me. And I, I can see compliments that some people can't see. Um, and one of them, they brought me in there, Brown Forum brought me in there to work with them because yeah. they were trying to invest in those brands. And we came up with some crazy shots that actually got some motion on Soko, which is like, there was no emotion on Soko. But I learned about lab science and I learned about mastering pHs and mastering demulgency. That's where I really learned about demulgency. And so, uh, and then, you know, besides that, I've done a lot of work down in Kentucky. I've worked with the gin lab um, and I've gone to a few summits. I've gone on to cocktails a few times and uh, just the, the ability to work with so many different flavors and types of products have really influenced what I like Absolutely. to want to Yeah, it's going to shape your vision, yeah, right? And and that's definitely coming through the, barrel, the yeah. bottles right now. And we, and then, and then all these different types of barrels I've seen used, we use them at the Dancing Goat, large formats, small formats. But the one thing that we do do at the Dancing and go it is we try to develop cocktail or brands that are cocktail applicable like yeah. you can take this and it makes sense to you limo makes sense to use in a cocktail right. it complements all your garnishes but not hiding the spirit is bad no and there's not and we, we avoided black pepper activation guayacol specifically by using used barrels because black pepper sticks out like a sore thumb we want integratable spirits. And that's the thing is this sips now that it's six years old it noses I think really well and it sips great. But the really crazy thing is once you add a little bit of lemon and some mint to that, holy shit. 
I mean, it even blows my mind. I mean, I make maple syrup. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm backwards as it gets, and I, I love it, and I embrace that. But my maple syrup is wild. I mean, straight up wild, and it's the perfect complement to our whiskey. And uh, with barrel-aged honey, I, keep, I got a bunch of beehives. Yeah. We barrel-age our honey. And that's the only reason we do that is to make one cocktail in the tasting room because that's what we love to do. And our real goal is to use our diverse blending library to teach people about flavor and to teach people about spirits. And where can we find this? You can find this. So I'm working on illinois i'm working on it um i'm trying to get into binnies it ain't working you definitely find it here at the beer cellar um but uh you can definitely find us in all major retailers in wisconsin we're also available on reserve bar they'll ship to most states Uh, i think also a spirits were available in most states Uh, but we are trying to make a little bit of an impact here in wisconsin unfortunately we've lost some distribution because we did sell the rum chata brand ah. and so our, our distribution is contracted a little bit with people that are a little upset that they've <laughs> lost the distribution of rum chata i don't blame them but hey you know i'm That's not my spiritual. dad don't hold it That's against spiritual, me spiritual baby so two questions that are left yes um there's one that might that might run us over three o'clock but i'm going to start with this one okay <laughs> like joe said earlier I feel like Wisconsin doesn't get much love in the whiskey world. Why do you feel like Wisconsin whiskey or why do you feel like Wisconsin whiskey needs to be known better? And that's from Mike Rothstein, who's also been some great questions at Mike. Because I think it, we're truly different spirits. Okay, so first of all, the thing about Wisconsin is our access to dextrins is almost unrivaled. There's no real great farming industry in, and, and this isn't, the Henry's are hybrid seed corn farmers. So the Henry's are really good at breeding specific corn for specific people. So like, let's say you were in Iowa and you had, you're in, no, no, let's say you're in Northern Idaho and you want to grow corn, but you need it to be specially frost tolerant. You go to the Henry's and you have them breed this corn for you. And they'll take multiple variants, bring them together to make that corn that works for you. Right. They also, I mean, I know they grow a little bit of rye and wheat, but it's mostly for their, I don't mean to talk about their business. Like I know it, I know, it, I know it pretty well because I'm such good friends with them and I really love what they're doing because they're great farmers. Um, but the other thing that, you know, they don't talk about, they're professors of agriculture. Right. They, they like at UW, Wisconsin, they like they are in the school. They're not just these farmers from was they are the two of the like Mr. and Mrs. Henry are like the best farmers in the state in terms of like they farm a ton of acreage and their seed corn is high value, you know. Um, and we have tons of great agricultural technology in Wisconsin because our ground isn't good for one thing, like like corn belt, Iowa, Nebraska, best corn in the world right. for sure, right? But they're buying Henry seed for it. You know, and what we've really done is we've applied technology to the land. We've cleared our forests, unfortunately, a lot of them, and we've applied technology land to grow things that they don't really grow anywhere. So like ginseng, a majority of the world's ginseng comes from Wisconsin, which is a crazy thing that most people don't even think about. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy thing that most people don't think about. But there's, there's cranberries. A majority yeah, yeah. of the global supply of cranberries come from Wisconsin. People don't even think about it, but we're able to apply technology in a way that I can get what almost the only thing I can't get in Wisconsin that I want is, is white winter wheat to my specification. And I can buy that elsewhere, but everything else, wheat, malt, all of it, we can find variants that are going to grow there really well. We can grow them organically with farmers that are super skilled. And so that's why we came. And that's the one thing that Wisconsin has is tons of fermentable dextrins to use and utilize and choose from. And not only from this, like, like, it's not just corn, you know, like everywhere you go, it's BT2 dent corn everywhere. That's not the only corn we grow in Wisconsin. We have Hopi blue, we have raspberry flush. We have all these different crazy corns that there's a seed bank at the UW that has thousands of variants of what I have the rights to a green and gold corn, 
a green and gold, a Packer backer corner. Are you kidding me? And that's why I came to Wisconsin. Um, But the thing that we really love in Wisconsin is we celebrate our agriculture and we don't take ourselves too seriously. And there's nothing that we're, we're not afraid to take risks or try new things because we're not really, I don't mean to make a South Park reference, but like, we're not really sniffing our own farts up there. Like this is literally, dude, like this is what, this is what you get. (laughs) <laughs> I'm unapologetically who I am. And I'm literally just here to drink. I don't, I'm not even here to sell whiskey to you. I'm here to talk about all this great whiskey. And that's Hell what yeah. I want to do. And that's Hell like, yeah. yes, Hell yes. Yeah. Yes. And from the beer the, seller. Thank you. So, you know, and that's the beauty of Wisconsin is our attitude towards that and our ability to kind of say like, that's what we want to do. And that's our oh, mission. Man, so last awesome. question. Last question. And for anyone that's listened to the podcast with Nick and you're getting a lot of love for that podcast. Craig great was podcast. saying that it was just a great yeah. deluge of information. There was so much going on there. So much knowledge there. But the last question uh, came from Brian. I think I can't find it now, but. Why is it called the Dancing Goat Distillery? Oh my God! No, <laughs> no, 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 For anyone that wants no, to, for anyone God. that wants to hear that story, to, it's a great to, question. Go to episode, go to episode one thirty-two and start at <laughs> one eight, one hour and eighteen minutes into the podcast, and at about one forty-two in the podcast, you'll get the answer for yeah, it. So, uh, Brian, that's a phenomenal question, but the, it's, it's a thirty-minute answer, and the story you can't, you can't truncate that story. It's no, a fantastic no, story. We can't. For anyone interested in finding out a little bit more about Dancing Goat, uh, you guys have a website we do it uh at dancing goat distillery.com um i have an instagram dg whiskey and then there's also uh loves attention is my personal bodybuilding account so stay away from it <laughs> and then uh and then uh um the dancing goat distillery and Destor gin are both i have uh instagram accounts too well nick uh thank you for getting in this picture a little bit more by the way thank you um, for having me thanks for coming on thanks for co-hosting half of this with us this too. was great i love this I, it was impromptu but um it was the best experience America loves everyone across the world drinking whiskey. <laughs> there you go. You heard from him. You, wait, real quick. From his mouth to your ears. What I thought was really ironic. First of all, thanks to my team. Thanks to these guys. Everything was great. You're all beautiful. Have a great night. But my big thing that I think is crazy is you guys did just enough tasting kits to send one to each state of United. <laughs> So, that, yeah, thank you. Listen, guys, absolutely everybody for jumping on. We had so much fun. Um, it was it was a lot of effort, but I'm so, so glad that it came together. Right. Anyone that joined us from home, thank you guys so, so much. Post like post on Instagram, tag us, tag Key in the Lake, tag Jake uh, Hookie. Take all the brands. Star Wars, tag all the brands. Abra underscore US, tag you know, Dance and Go, Uncle Nearest, everybody. Thank you just so, so much for, for jumping on. And yeah, I mean, guest, the guys. sec that there's still 25 people on here three hours later, it's pretty cool. Um, very humbling. I'm so glad that it all worked out. We put a lot of effort into it, as Callum said. Um, Thank you guys for setting this up. This was yeah, a really special no, day. It was a, it's a passion project that we love. Um, we work in the whiskey industry every day and then kind of go home at the end of the day. And at night, I work on this podcast and work on things like this so we can bring people together. We literally have people in the very far west of the United States where uh, Harrison is in, in the Washington to people down in the southeast of Florida. It's, we stretched across the entire country and we get to enjoy whiskey here today. Victoria, Graham, Simon, myself, Joe, and Nick, thank you for being guests uh, today. It was a truly amazing experience. Um, should we do it again next year? Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that up to you guys to decide. But, you know, please tag us in your stories. Tag each other. Uh, you know, reach out to each other. 
this has been a really really great experience and yeah. we just want to thank everybody for jumping and on. we love your feedback too and we recorded all this so we're going to chop this up into like mini podcasts so each brand is going to have like a 25 minute podcast that we can put out over the next couple of weeks so if you missed anything or if you think somebody would really be interested in what you heard today they can get it that way through the key in the lake whiskey podcast the premier whiskey podcast now with mention of whiskey in its title <laughs>